1: I'm
0: Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast, the podcast that loves it when you get two 3-0 wins in the space of a week. Life looks a lot, lot better then. I'm joined for the third time already this season, but it had to be due to one of the opponents we faced this week, by Daniel Childs, son of Chelsea. Daniel, how are we doing on this fine Sunday morning?
2: Very fine. Yeah, free, uh Three nil wins. Uh, they feel so rare, don't they? And they, you know, how easy it was in those final twenty minutes yesterday. Uh, I was just expecting something to go wrong, but it's it's nice to be on the podcast and and just speak about. I think mainly positivity, uh, which feels quite rare over the past year watching Chelsea.
0: Yeah, exactly. We don't have to really try and force some positivity, or, or try and you know really look really deeply for for positives. There are plenty. Plenty to talk about. As always, do guests. I get them to give themselves a plug. So Daniel, why don't you tell people where they can find you and all your work?
2: Yeah, I always say the easiest place to go to is at Son of Chelsea on Twitter. Kind of the hub of all my work. Uh, I, I write and present for Football London, and then also on YouTube, uh, Son of Chelsea is my channel where I post regular videos, uh, reviewing, previewing games, news videos, Q and A's, all of that good stuff.
0: Yeah, make sure you check Daniel. His links will be in the description below. Right before we get into the game, I have a bit of admin to talk about. And that is that support for that Chelsea podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 6 million men, and if my math is correct, that's 12 million bulls worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer that we have for you, and get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code CHELSEAPOD at manscaped.com. Now, I was kindly sent the performance package 4.0 and like Connor Gallagher off the bench at Crystal Palace the other week, this package is a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer breeds, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. First off is the lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and dare I say the greatest ball trimmer ever. It will help clean up that mess down there better than Thiago Silva with Chelsea's backline so far this season. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has 4000K LED spotlight should you need a more precise shave. Some might call it the Cess Fabregas of trimmers. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on bathroom floor and everyone's a winner there. Now, like watching a Rhys James performance every week, you no doubt thought that was good. But do you want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker, Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin-safe technology which helps reduce nicks, snags and tugs in those delicate nose holes. It will get all up in your business like former Blue Diego Costa looking for a scrap. Next up, we have their Crop Preserver Ball Geodit and Crop Reviver Ball Turnip which will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me, fellas, when I say this, your balls will thank you. Manscaped even threw in two free griffs to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped boxes, and the Shed travel Bag. I mean, the travel bag is called the shed. You know you want this. It's time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with code pod. Get 20% off and free shipping with code chelseapod at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com and use code chelseapod. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Right, Daniel. Admin is out of the way. Let's go. Start off Wednesday night, AC Milan. In the Champions League. In a week where Amsterdam was released in cinema as a film starring some of the biggest names in the film world, that Chelsea performance was certainly befitting of a big screen. A 3-0 win against European Powerhouse. And Daniel, that win not only just felt important, not just for Chelsea's, you know, perilous position in the Champions League group at that point, but it just felt as Chelsea fans, we needed a night like that. We needed something like that to just really cling on to. And just feel good about ourselves and just feel happy about watching Chelsea again.
2: I was wondering where the Amsterdam metaphor was going, to be honest, uh, but very smooth, very smooth. Um, Yeah, we needed to. We needed to have some enjoyment about Chelsea again. It hasn't been overly fun. I think we've sort of expressed that um, not only so far this season, but I think stretching back a, a little while now and... I guess if you watched the game back, there were moments in the first half where the game could have turned in a different direction. Um, AC Milan have obviously got some individual quality that can do that to you. I mean, Rafa Leal to me, looks like quite a scary player. I'm not going to enjoy playing against him again in midweek. But once Chelsea got the first goal, and particularly once the second went in... Um, you just felt the, the confidence in the players growing. And uh, I think things I've seen so far under Graham Potter, sort of trends, particularly in the attacking part of the pitch, um, I think are, are encouraging. Uh, it, it, we look like a team who not only has a plan of what we're doing when we're in possession of of trying to progress it for the thirds, but I also think y- you have a confidence once we get to the final third, we're going to create opportunities. And even if we don't take our chance once, you feel like there is enough in there to create further chances, which you know I think we'll get to when we speak about Wolves, that the margin for error in the final third seems to be widening, which is something that Chelsea have not had for quite a while. So listen, it's still AC Milan as well. Uh, that's something that I, I have seen in the, the day since of sort of analysis of the game. AC Milan obviously have a lot of injuries. They have key players who were key to their Serie A victory last season, who are obviously not present, but... It's still AC Milan, it's still one of those big traditional historic European clubs that when the draw's made and when you see them come down to the bridge, um, beating them so emphatically, I, I still think is something to to cherish. And there were obviously parallels to to the Juve game, which arguably was the last enjoyable performance. I mean, maybe you'd throw in Southampton or Real Madrid as kind of the two since then. But they haven't been many of those performances, specifically at Stamford Bridge as well. So all round, as maybe we'll get to with certain individual moments on that night, um, you, ha- you had to be encouraged. And-, and it was just a big result, obviously, in the context of the Champions League group.
0: Yep. Yeah. obviously there was one parallel that we thought was going to be a nasty one, but we might have got away with Wesley Fofana getting injured. We saw him go down. And while there were many parallels to the Juventus game, we did not want that to be a parallel Well, it was a series, a season-ending injury. Thankfully, it seems like we've kind of, you know, gotten away with one only about four or five weeks out, etc. Daniel, he obviously got his first goal for Chelsea, so that was nice for him. Um, but I guess just for the overriding thing, just relief that, you know, Favrena is only out for a little bit. And also, I guess for fact that it's only out for a little bit. It does give Trevor Chalibur now that chance to, to stake his claim.
2: Yeah, that that was one thing I think a lot of us were concerned by. I thought, can we you know, Chelsea just can't get a lovely win of football without sacrificing at least one player for another year. So I mean, obviously for Fafana, it's a blow. I I think also in the context of of him trying to make a late surge for that French World Cup squad, which is highly competitive. Um, And he's going to miss a lot of games. I think I was sort of, if he is out for a month, I was sort of uh, looking at the fixtures after. It's going to be about nine games, I think, uh, given the nature of the congested schedule we have at the moment. Um, But I agree. In the the case of Trevor Chalabar, he's had sliding doors, sort of moments at Chelsea that have kind of helped his progression. I mean, you think that Jules Koundé could have signed in the the summer of 2021. That did not happen. And that kind of opened the door for him to become a part of Thomas Tuchel's squad. Um, And again, here, I think he's needed something like this uh, because he's been a fringe player so far. He's finally getting his opportunity. And I think it was encouraging that in that situation, Graham Potter chose Trevor Chalaber first and chose the profile that probably was as similar to Fafana because you needed speed on the right side of our defence that night with Liao's threat. Um and we've seen with Chalaba, right? He he the evidence of the impact he has on our defense is overwhelmingly positive. We have not lost when he started a game. And also when you factor in the lack of football he's played this season, to come into that environment, a high pressure environment, uh, sure Chelsea were winning, but you know, there's still a long way to go in that game and to just be so assured once again, it just speaks to the talent that we have in Trevor Chalaba that He's he's a good character, and I think he's someone that has responded well to a few setbacks, unexpected setbacks. You know, I, I don't think all of that is his fault. Sort of being out of the team for for a large periods, um, but now he's back in it. He really needs to take his opportunity, and and maybe this will be the start of of another sort of big season for him at Chelsea.
0: Yeah, Daniel, the second goal and the goal that perhaps killed it off. Yeah, emerick Abamyang again. It's just nice to see a Chelsea number nine scoring goals. That was two and two for him. You know. A simple goal, but that's what we need him to do. Just be in a box, just get a goal, get some. The end of a race James Cross, who we'll get onto in a bit. Again, for Aubameyang, you know, I, I actually thought in the first off, the service he got, he didn't necessarily get loads of service. He kind of balls into him, didn't necessarily suit him, but he did his job. He got a goal, and that's all we can really ask for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, if he's doing what he's done for the last two games, uh, you know, the finish against Palace, the finish against uh, Milan, both one touch finish, you know. Um, We'll be laughing. We really will. I mean, I, I sort of, when he signed, ironic that he was on the same pitch on, on Wednesday night, but I compared him to Olivier Giroud. You know, if we extract the value that we got from Giroud with Bamiyang, I think that's the best sort of possible scenario with Abamyang. It may be better. We hope it's a lot better than that. But I, I think that's sort of the peak of what we're getting from Abamyang at his age. And I was looking at sort of the touches of Abamyang in that game after and they were quite low. Um, and I remember this time last year, we were very concerned about the lack of touches of uh, Lukaku was having in a game and he wasn't scoring. And it just kind of speaks to that doesn't always matter. You know, if, if a striker isn't touching the ball a lot, but the touches, it sounds very obvious, but the touches he does have are inside the box, sort of high value touches where he's likely to score a goal. You're not really complaining, are you? And um, I think that his anticipation, obviously just, just a, a knack that we've seen throughout his career. And I, I feel kind of similar about Raheem Sterling. You know, we've got two players here who have spent their whole careers being very productive in front of goal. And if Chelsea can continue sort of that in the later years of their career, I think that's really positive because it's something we have not been able to do. And um, he he's made the two finishes look simple. Um, he's got a rest now. I suspect he, he'll probably be back in the scene for the Milan game and... Listen, he's adapted quickly and that, that's the best uh, thing possible. And, you know, with with I think that the link-ups he can have in this team with players, it, it's encouraging.
0: Yeah. All right, let's go on to it. Man of match for Chelsea that night was Reese James. And at age 22 years and 301 days, he became the youngest Chelsea player ever to both score and assist a goal in the same UEFA Champions League game. And since the start of last season, no defender has scored more goals in the top five European leagues than Reese James. Daniel, like, we have got a star on our hands. We are watching a top, top performer. And yeah, Reese James, it's kind of, it just we're seeing, you know, again, just a catalogue of like performances, big performances now. You know, I guess we saw that Champions League final performance from him back in 2021. That kind of felt like his first real big, 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 big game performance. And then we've seen games against Juventus last year, Real Madrid last year, and now AC Milan. He's just, you know, racking these games and these high profile moments up really, isn't he?
2: Yeah, I I don't want to downplay the the talent of Reese James and what he's doing at his age. As you say, twenty two years old, still there's such maturity. There's almost such a well rounded nature to Reese James's game that is quite extraordinary for a player of his age. You know, there's still a long way to go, and that's what's exciting about him at Chelsea. Um, but I also feel that a lot of us, at least, hoped or felt that this potential was there when he came back under Frank Lampard. Um, and I wrote about this in the week that I think we've had a lot of players at Chelsea, uh, whether we bought them, whether they may have been through the academy, who've kind of we we've had high hopes for, and ex- expectations of where they could go to, and very rarely have those players actually reached those expectations for a variety of reasons. Um, Rhys James is one of those players who has, I think, reached you know the expectations, the high expectations we had for him. As I say, that's not to downplay the incredible performances the impact on the team, the importance to the team at his age and the conviction with the way he goes about things, whether that's defensively or in the final third, I mean, he he is becoming sort of a creative monster, isn't he? And I, I firmly believe, I think I said this on our preview show with Adam, that if, if he stays fit, I think he's going to be Chelsea's player of the season. And I think there won't be, I mean, I hope there is competition, but I, I genuinely do think so far this season, he has been Chelsea's best performer. And, um, you know, I, I still think there are ways to go. I, I still think there is more for Reese James to do at Chelsea. I think that there is a there is a sense, particularly under this current coach, that if Chelsea are looking to be a bit more progressive, I think there are some more interesting things and ways that Reese could be deployed at, at Chelsea. And also, just for his sort of sake and his numbers, hopefully, there's going to be some people on the end of his crosses. But if if they if they aren't on the end of his crosses, we know he can get in the final third and just smash it in the top corner himself. So. um you know there is a fan or sort of tendency to uh, to Reece James, and I also just want to pick this out. I do like there. There also is a a bit of confrontation to him as well, and I do like that. You know, for such a mild mannered guy off the pitch, if you've ever listened to him speak, you know he's very quiet, very laid back. Once he gets on there, you know he quite clearly likes to spark confrontation, maybe to get himself going. So all round, I think he's he's such an extraordinary talent, and probably the best piece of business a new ownership has done is tying him down to that six-year contract because um i don't like using this word because it's i mean how much impact is it is it going to have anymore but i I do think reese is in the generational bracket i mean just look at the type of player he is look at as you say look at the level he's playing at his at his age and defensively too i think that that kind of gets forgotten about um a little bit because people like to say well he's just playing as a wing back but Listen to Raphael, listen to Vinicius Junior, listen to players, top quality attacking talents who come off the pitch and say, "I'm surprised by how good he was," and that that takes some doing.
0: Yeah, no, indeed, indeed. I think just other you know impressive performances. I thought Ruben Loftus-Cheek was very good against AC Milan, good driving forward with the ball. Thiago Silva again, pretty pretty flawless at the back. I thought Mason Mount at the time that was probably one of his best games of the season. Bit of a slow start, but grew into that game. Koulibaly looked again after a bit of a shaky start sort of grew into that game and again it just did feel like just confidence just did you could Mm. see the confidence just slowly slowly going through that team and it was lovely to see And I mean Daniel all of a sudden from being bottom of that group we're now second in in that group obviously again the picture could change Mm. if we get a negative result in Milan but even just one win and I guess it I I know I said to you at the time playing one step beyond that the time felt a bit you know you'd sort of that normally gets reserved maybe for knockout ties or the big big games this was like a group Mm. stage game where nothing is secured yet again it just feels that you know hopefully that is the kickstart of Chelsea season as we've seen they have backed it up Mm. so far
2: I think now I know some people sort of commented on it and sort of uh were sort of shrugging their shoulders or at least were a little bit confused of the use of that song I think it's more the case that this year has been pretty exhausting for Chelsea supporters and I felt that after Potter's first game against Salzburg that, you know, this is a new coach, you want to get behind him, you want to see new ideas and, and sort of be intrigued by the direction the team is going to go in now. But, you know, I think that night was kind of defined by old problems and and I felt the frustration was not aimed at Graham Potter specifically. I think it was kind of a build-up of a lot of things. We, we've we had a lot of things happen at Chelsea this year. Um, obviously, it all kind of is, has been dominated by the sanctions and the takeover and on-the-pitch problems too. Um that I think have built up and built up and and people feeling like they're watching the same game over and over again. And specifically at Stanford bridge, you know, some of our best performances unfortunately have come away from home. And I I think that just to have that joy and that fun and that spirit starting to build again and momentum feeling like it is growing again at Stanford bridge, I think it makes sense. And as I said, it's AC Milan, you know, it is one of the, historic European clubs I, I still think that as Chelsea you've got to enjoy and, and savor those moments um, so maybe there was something that just to give everyone a lift and to make people feel yeah this result does mean something and hopefully if the players and Potter can sort of harness some of that and, and really kick start our season then it's it's all for the better
0: yeah yeah we'll leave AC Milan there And we'll move on to Wolves Diego Day, Daniel. Before we get into discussing Wolves game, I know this was a very special day for you. I mean, I can only imagine, I guess, the feeling. You, I, c- I can only guess the feeling you felt is probably akin to the feeling a mother feels when her, her young boy returns home from war. It, I can probably <laughs> only imagine that was the, the feeling you felt watching Diego Costa back at Stamford Bridge. Um, just your thoughts, your feelings on watching Diego Costa, and of course, I mean, he, he got a standing ovation. You know, a lap of honour at two 0 down. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was joking with uh, Adam Newsom last night. My sort of life's work is now complete. I, I sort of tweeted the uh, Jabby Alonso, like the boots walking away. I probably should have just stopped tweeting after that. That's kind of the, the conclusion of my work. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was uh, emotional. It was uh, special. It could not have gone more perfectly. Um, I was happy to see him start because I think, I had this dread actually as the game was getting closer that he's going to come off the bench and score like a 94th minute equalizer or winner. Um, I knew that once he started, he was probably only going to last an hour. And it was kind of perfect that in the space of a couple of minutes, Pulisic scores the second. So everyone feels more comfortable about the performance and the result. And then he's at the, the Harding end, which, you know, again, they've turned us round. I don't know if that was Diego's own doing, but they turn us round. And. He gets to do this lap of appreciation. And, you know, I know that there were some people who don't quite understand the admiration Chelsea supporters have for Diego Costa. And listen, as, as his biggest fan, I'm not going to deny that his, his departure was messy and you could make comparisons to Thibaut Courtois and say, what's the difference? But there's something more intangible about Diego and the connection he made to Chelsea supporters like myself over those three years. Um, And what I love is that despite that messy ending, despite the feeling of toxicity. And also I think a lot, I I wrote about this before the game, a lot of Diego, his shadow has sort of cast um, quite wide over Stanford Bridge, I think since, because we haven't had attacking players who have sort of risen to the challenge of replacing him. So he's sort of been the measuring stick since he's left. And we haven't felt like we've been able to move on uh, in in the final third. Um, But what I love is it's it's a moment that proves, despite a short stay, how much of an impact and a connection a player can make. And of course, I'm going to say, I think he's a Chelsea legend, but I think that's the best evidence I could put to a jury of like, that's why literally people stopped watching the game a pretty good game for Chelsea and just were focusing on Diego walking around the pitch and singing his name. And I know that the player himself appreciated that, as he said in the interviews after. And, um, I, I you know, that's why you your supporter you want to have those connections personally to players. You know, he was just a player that even before he signed for Chelsea, I'd grown a connection with, and I enjoyed watching him play football. I think he, it was something so wonderful about Diego at Chelsea that he didn't speak a lot of English, um, there was no sort of prior connection to Chelsea, but it was almost like he was manufactured in a lab to play for Chelsea. And he so reflected what Chelsea needed at that specific moment for Jose Mourinho. But technically as well, I I say this a lot, I think he was highly underrated as a player. I think a lot of what people think about Diego, they think of his madness, they think of his confrontation, his his snarling, which obviously is a big part of why people fell in love with him. Um, But technically one of the best players Chelsea for me have ever had. Um, you know, so yeah, it, listen, I don't want to take up the whole podcast. for proper people are sort of fasting forward or turning off. I don't want to lose you any listeners. Um, but yeah, as, as you said, uh, you know, uh, someone coming home from war, uh, it was a little bit like the on your left moment in uh, in endgame. Uh, it, it was emotional and all round, I, I, I couldn't have asked for a better return for Diego. And if that is the farewell, it's the perfect farewell.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed. So, Diego Costa, big ha big part of two Premier League title wins in his three seasons here. Probably the second best striker after Didier over the last 20 years. So, yeah. again, completely understandable. He is the benchmark. He is chaotic. He is crazy. He is lovable. <laughs> he is just, yeah, a, a personality which, which you just like. And, yeah, it was nice to see him get into it. Right, Daniel, going to then focus on the changes. The changes put on but There were a lot of changes. Mm. And I remember I messaged you before. I was like, this is either, this is it, bold, Brave, naive, whatever. Well, I bought him a lot. Fair play, a lot of changes, yeah. and we still look very good. I mean, as says I because I know he was one player before the, at the start of the game that me and a lot of other people seeing him at Ryback would have been like, oh, not sure about that one. But for credit to him, he was pretty damn good.
2: Yeah, he was. I've I've been highly critical of Aspera You know, I, I I'm not going to hide that, and I still kind of think that his days as a kind of a key player are behind him, but. You can never fault the dedication and sort of the application of Aspilicueta throughout his Chelsea career. You know, I think there are some players, if they could take half of what Dave does on a regular basis throughout his over 10 years here and apply it to their game, I think that you'd see an improvement. Um, I think it it speaks to Potter as kind of this shape-shifting kind of coach that he likes to take players. He, see, he sees players as kind of like a Swiss army knife. You know, he wants to use them in different ways, in interesting ways. And for the profile of that game, you know, he did sort of give explanations after of why the players he took out were out. I mean, he said that Thiago Silva had a cold at the start of the week, as you know, and obviously at his age, has played a lot of football. Um, Raheem Sterling's played a lot of football, apparently Reese had a dead leg. So, you know, there were reasons, fitness reasons why he made the changes. But I think for the profile of Dave and what he was asked to do in that game, he followed it brilliantly, you know, down that right, he caused so much havoc and particularly cutbacks, you know, consistently Chelsea were getting numbers into the box and you need good service from out wide. And I think that that's what Dave. a lot of our best work, particularly in that first half, which is luckily right below me, um, was, was orchestrated by Dave. I think sort of some of the triangles we saw between Dave, Mount Gallagher, uh, Ruben was coming across there, habits was as well. And, uh, yeah, he kind of represented that the changes for Potter absolutely worked. And it shows that we have to get used to this with Graham Potter. We have to get used to a lot of rotation. And sometimes it won't make a lot of sense. You know, our natural instinct, I think maybe born out of the Jose Mourinho years when he used about 14 players and he stuck with them and was trusted. It's kind of the the darn thing that you stay over winning team. Um, I think most of us would have selected a very similar team to the one that started against AC Milan. Um, it shows that he's a coach that can rotate and can change the team and keep a, a, a similar level, arguably better level of play. And that that's quite impressive.
0: Yeah, like his name, Harry Graham may well be the chosen one. Um, let's talk about the attack because that was, I guess, you know, there was no Abamiang. and there was a stop for Christian Pulisic, Looking at that team before the game, bear in mind, before that game, there's about one goal between them this season. I guess there were, understandably, maybe some questions, some concerns. Mm -hmm. Again, that front three, I thought, you know, were great. Pulisic, brilliant, could have had more than a goal. But then before I get into the other two, Mason Mount. Again, I said it earlier on, Milan, he kind of showed that was a performance going in the right direction after a slow start. He grew into the game, had a brilliant switch of play in that match as well. And he got two assists today. Obviously, for his detractors, well, they were open play, so that that one helps a bit. But just a word on Mason Mount, because that was obviously, he he provided two assists in a single Premier League game for for the second time previously, so against Leicester in February 2020. He's a player who's who's had a quite tough start to the season. He's a player who's played a lot of football Mm. over years. Again, it just felt like on a day that was kind of, you know, near on perfect, as we'll get onto a bit later with, with Armando Brogers scoring as well, his first Chelsea goal, that kind of just felt Mason Mount, just, you know, he was good midweek against Man, but he then kind of needed to have, I guess, something to show for it. And he did that against Wolves.
2: Yeah. I mean, he was everywhere um, and he was kind of, it feels like at the moment he is playing a sort of a balanced role between what maybe Tuchel and Lampard was asking of him. Sometimes you see him more advanced. Sometimes you see him dropping a little bit deeper. Um, and listen, it it was, it was everything that we, we know Mason can be. You know, he has become an essential player for Chelsea, like Reese James has over the past couple of years. And part of what makes Mason Mount such a difficult player for opposition teams to nullify is that he picks up intelligent pockets of space. I think he's someone that it, it's been said and reported that he's he's a very intelligent player, that he's someone that can take quite complicated tactical information from a coach and translate it onto the pitch not only within his own game but also with other players um which is quite an impressive feat you know and quite an impressive uh attribute to have as a young player and and that's you know these are the things that maybe people don't appreciate as to why a player keeps on playing and consistently finds themselves as one of a reg- regular bunch of starters because mason you can't like people demean the fact that he works hard and i have been on this podcast before About other players who are no longer at Chelsea, and I've said that that's not a reason to praise someone, that's not a reason to like say that a player is extraordinary. But in the way he presses, in the way he picks up positions, in the way he links up with others, as I say, in the way maybe he fulfills what a coach wants on a certain day, that's why he's become an essential player for the club. Yesterday was just obvious, wasn't it? I mean, the first ball he plays, um, or sorry, the first assist. Is is a brilliantly carved ball um, into the box. It, I mean, it's it's kind of that corridor of uncertainty. The goalkeeper doesn't know whether to come, whether to stay, and and it sets up the the ball brilliantly for Kai Havertz to header. Um, and the second was just a really nice piece of, of link up with with Christian Pulisic, and you saw that throughout the game. I mean, I, I know his chance creation sort of stats were really impressive, and sometimes those don't get the credit because something breaks down, you know, and it's, they don't. They don't they don't sort of show up in the highlights after the game. Uh, but all around it's great to see that Mason is is finding his feet, like a lot of other choice players suddenly are. And, you know, I I'm I'm not that shocked because quality will prevail eventually. You know, um, we, we've seen this with Mason so many times. He he is still a young player. This is the this is the thing. I know he's not an untested academy talent anymore. He's been through a lot. And he's been through dips, and maybe the intelligence and the experiences he's had already at Chelsea have helped him as that. Like he knows he's been through tough spells at Chelsea already, but he's come through those, and he usually comes out the the end of those the end of those sort of difficult spells a better player, a more rounded player. And hopefully, we're seeing that again uh, now with Graham Potter.
0: Yep, I've got to talk about this man. He's like the talking point of Chelsea Twitter and just Chelsea so much. You know, from the boring factions on both sides, Christian Pulisic. He got a start, a rare start, and he took it. And that just felt, I mean, a goal, brilliant goal. You know, that goal, that link up between him and Mason for that goal. And I guess, obviously, we wait to see if he gets, you know, the opportunity to start Milan midweek or not. It wouldn't be a surprise if he's back on the bench, given some of the players he arrested. But there's, for all the talk around Christian Piusic, which doesn't, I don't think, do him many favours, he just needed that to actually just show us something.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's the problem with Pulisic so far this season is the talk has been off the pitch. It's been about social media noise. It's been about conspiracy theories from podcasts. It's been about a book he's writing that costs 30 quid for some reason. I mean, they, they are there have been things that just, you know, I don't think have helped a player. Um, I am firmly in the camp that I, I don't blame Pulisic for a lot of the nonsense around him. I think maybe he could be advised a little bit better over maybe some of the things he he does off the pitch, like media-wise. Um, but at the same time, when he comes on the pitch, when he gets the opportunity and he takes it and he scores a goal, Chelsea fans are going to be happy and they're going to praise him for it. It's a very simple equation for most supporters. When you play well, you get praised. When you don't play well, you get criticised. Um, no one is unhappy if a player scores and maybe if you've criticized them one week but they come back and score a goal that helps your team win the game you're going to be happy for them and you know i i'd like to think that people are now not in sort of the social media nonsense bubble where being proven wrong is like some sort of like crime you know i have always said this i do not mind being proven wrong if a player helps a team win i will praise them i'll be happy because chelsea are winning I mean, I've been someone that has been actually quite supportive of Pulisic in his time at Chelsea through the injury problems. I've always seen a player there that I think could offer something quite transformative. The problem has always been consistency. It's been fitness things that have held him back. Or I think sometimes a lack of understanding over what his best role is in the team. I think sometimes he's been miscast even by himself. Like I I still think that his best role is inside the six yard box, getting as many opportunities in front of goal as possible. I think he is a finisher. And we saw that yesterday. I think during the first half, he got into some really good positions. And I think expected Chelsea pointed this out. It was only a matter of time in that game. He was eventually going to get a good chance and he did and he took it brilliantly um, for him, I hope this is a boost. I hope it's something that kind of quietens down the noise. I don't think it will based on the reaction, unfortunately, I've seen already. Um, but I hope for his sake, if he does keep on playing and does keep on getting opportunities, he keeps on impacting the team in a positive way. I think he's got competition because, it, it, you know, if you sort of look around what Potter's going to do with that team and, you know, all right, he's been very very flexible with the way players are positioned and it's not like him and Sterling can't play in the same eleven. Uh, but you suspect that Sterling, nine times out of ten, will be on the left of attack or will be one of those wide players, and he's going to have to compete against that. But I think all of us can just be happy for once we can speak about Pulisic doing something positive on the pitch and nothing sort of off it that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, but unfortunately, hasn't made the mood or the perception of the player that positive.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a busy month. Christian will hopefully get more opportunities to see. Potter's not afraid to to rotate. There's still seven more games play this month and hopefully he will just you know pick it up and continue and just hopefully there won't be a, a huge outroar you know out-roar if, if he does not start midweek because that's just for quality in this Chelsea team Daniel Haberts, a player who again has had to deceive a lot that's two goals in his last three Premier League appearances they've both been important goals obviously one a winner against West Ham one the opener against Wolves questions will still remain is playing you know where is his best position? Where is he best suited? How do you get the best out of him? Those questions will always still remain until he actually goes on and proves something. But again, it's just the simple thing of our attack. We, there's now, I think, we've had, I think, 11 different goal scorers for Chelsea now this season again. We just kind of need goals. And if we've got him, if we've got a Yang 2-2 and then we, you know, have just drop him or rest, put him on bench, and Kai then sort of gets that opportunity up front and scores, that's just kind of what we need, really, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I, I still have my concerns over habits, just sort of striker instincts. I, I still sometimes think he is maybe too passive in situations where yeah. he maybe should make a run a bit better that you think, and a Bamian who's obviously experienced in that in that situation, and say Breuer later on in the game does. Um, but the goal, you know, he's always been an aerial threat. I, we, we've known this since he's been at Chelsea. I would, I, I have to look at this back, but I think the majority of his goals, particularly in the Premier League, have come from headers. Um, he's always been pretty good in that aspect, considering his height, and it kind of is a classic sort of centre forward type trait to have. Um, you have got to praise him when he scores goals. I mean, listen, it, it wasn't the, the perfect performance, but all round, if you're impacting things in the final third, you can never. Um, sniff at that. You can never sort of demean that. Breaking news, goals are quite important in games. And as you've said, he scored two that have been very valuable so far this season. Um, I, I think on the case of positioning, look at, say, we spoke about Cesar Azpilicueta earlier. He was kind of playing a hybrid sort of right back, sometimes in possession, out of possession. Sometimes he was a wing back. Connor Gallagher was kind of playing this eight slash sort of right wing role. Um, that's what a lot of these players under Potter are going to have to do. And they're going to have to get used to that. And I don't think it's too much to ask for Havertz. One of the selling points of him when he came from by Leverkusen was his versatility. Um, and sometimes I just think it is about a player's own responsibility on the pitch. It's their decisiveness in key moments. Um, he scored a big goal for Chelsea. I hope for his sake that builds his confidence. Um, and the good thing for Potter is he's now, as you've mentioned, he's got a few players that he can look at and go okay they've performed for me um we've had too many weeks where you go into a game and you're not quite sure who to rely upon because there hasn't been a lot of productivity there to look at to be honest
0: yeah yeah exactly right daniel i guess it was kind of fitting on diego day but potentially his the future heir to the throne i guess maybe just in you know, simply stylistically armando Broja finally got his first chelsea goal just a word on that, and also before we actually go on to Mando, I want to have a quick word, I guess, on, on that just for on Kovacic, just for that assistant that Cameo, actually, because I know you and I have kind of spoken about it and said it did feel like Kovacic in the early week season had maybe been, you know, resort been resorting to, you know, old Kovacic itself, not the one we kind of saw last season. But we saw there a nice crisp through ball mm. for striker, you know, kind of run on to. Again, he back Kovich Cameo before we should got on to Amanda was pretty bright. A lot of, you know, nice little passes here and there.
2: One of the things I think that Tuchel did really well was streamlining Kovacic's game to just make him do less on the ball, which actually turned out to be more because we know that he's got the technical ability. We know he, he offers a lot of attributes that you'd want in a team that craves a lot of the ball and particularly a team that... You know, if you're trying to get around a press, that's always been one of his best attributes. There, it was just a simple case of getting the ball out of your feet and playing it quickly to a centre-forward who's made a good run. Um, and we saw this, he he sort of linked up quite early with Lukaku a couple of times, if I remember. I remember Aston Villa goal. Yeah. That was a really good through ball. So we know we've got it in his in his locker. And, you know, I think the injury has probably impacted Kovacic so far. He hasn't quite been the player he was last season when he was a lot more consistent and a lot more impactful. Um, hopefully, again, that's a turning point for him. Uh, and and for Breuer, uh, it's it's massive. I, I think that we've seen over the past week, you know, Cody Gallagher getting that goal at Crystal Palace, uh, Amanda Breuer getting the goal here. For these returning loanees, like we saw under Frank, um, I think it's very important that they have these moments to feel like they are at the level of Chelsea and they can impact things. You know, it's, it's one thing they deserve praise for what they did on loan, but as Chelsea fans, harsh Chelsea fans, are going to be looking and going, okay, well, can you do it when you when there's more expectation and pressure on you? And he's had to wait for his opportunity. You know, even this was a cameo. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a uh, a majority of minutes for him in this game. Um, but what I liked about it was he, what I like about his game overall, he's very direct, very aggressive and he's always looking to make those runs we saw it for Southampton last year and the goal he scored was actually quite similar to something he he would do for Southampton it's nice to see at least for Chelsea he maybe is able to to get that space and just the the way he got it out of his feet so quickly and just created an angle for himself and luckily where I'm sitting was kind of in line looking down that when he hit it and you could tell from the moment it left his boot it's going in, or it has a very, very good chance of going in. Such a uh, an immaculate finish, really, a top class finish, and his words post game were really nice to hear. Um, it's it it's going to be a big season for Armando. It really is, and you know he could have left. He he could have gone to West Ham. He could have gone on loan. Um, it's nice that the club, uh, for whatever reason, refused to 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 sell him uh, because. You know, you need as many goals as, as you can get in the current Chelsea attack. And he offers something different to Bamiyang, He offers something different to Havertz. I think there is still a raw aspect to Amanda Breuer. Um, he will have games maybe where he looks a little bit erratic. We saw it for Southampton last year. I think you'll see it for Chelsea. But if he gets service like that and you see the dedication there, goals like that are going to give him such a, a lift and a boost. And... Um, and it, and it's probably a sign of trust from from Potter as well to give him that opportunity, and and hopefully he can get some more in the coming weeks because there's going to be the need for rotation, uh, there really is. So um, massive moment, and hopefully silences some people who maybe were doubtful he could sort of rise to the Chelsea level.
0: Yeah, as a result of that, Chelsea are unbeaten in eight Premier League home matches, winning three in a row at Stamford Bridge in the competition for the first time since September 2021. One of the you know bigger weaknesses last season was the home form. So far from four Premier League games, Chelsea have got 10 points and they're playing, you know, fairly well. And it was nice, Daniel, I guess. Also, again, it's just simple, clean sheets as well. I mean, we've not even spoken mm. Kepper, and we have got a question on Kepper, but just for small things, two clean sheets in a week, again, it just does wonders for you.
2: Yeah, it will give, I think, Kepa individually a lot of confidence, obviously getting not as, as Potter's first choice uh, so far in his first four games. Um we're not giving away a lot of high-quality opportunities as well. I mean, even in the Crystal Palace game, it was frustrating to concede that goal so early on, but I think as the game went on, we limited them to to, to, to fewer good opportunities, and that was a sign of the defensive, I think, structure improving. Uh, we saw it against AC Milan. There was, of course, a little bit of fortune. They could have scored on the break, but they have quality players, you know, that's, there is, there are times when you have to sort of accept that you are going to concede chances against some good teams. Uh Wolves did not offer a lot. They were really poor in possession and they've only scored three goals this season. So to concede yesterday would have been quite disappointing to a team who have been so poor and have been lacking. I mean, you think Chelsea have got attacking problems. I mean, they're, they're, that's why they've had the emergency Diego transfer because, you know, they're, they're trying to find anything up there as kind of inspiration. Um but I felt structurally the way Potter is taking a few more risks. He absolutely is. Um, By pushing more bodies forward, we see it with Jorginho. He can obviously get bypassed. And sometimes that leaves the the back four or three exposed a little bit more. Um, I don't mind it in games against Wolves because I think Chelsea have to be progressive. Um, It's maybe against tougher opposition where we're going to find out if Jorginho does start and just generally how the balance of Potter's midfield works um, when it's tested against better opposition. But I, I agree that Pula Bali, uh, I think, started well, but had some shaky moments, has been out of the team, has come back now, got two clean sheets. That's obviously brilliant. Trevor Chalabar continues to look immaculate. He really does. Um, I thought there were so many times yesterday where just, you know, again, things that probably don't get spotted in the highlights because they're not that, you know, it's not like a um, a goal-saving tackle or like a one of those really big things that gets the crowd lifted. But there was... There were moments where Chalabra, I think, just smartly was intercepting the ball or was in the right position to cover or offer a passing option. And I think the way Chelsea played out of Wolves' press, because they did press high at times, I think was quite good. I think it was intelligent. Uh, we, I think we lured Wolves into our press when we were pressing them from their goal kicks, but also when we were trying to sort of um, progress the ball from our own, own goal kick. So all round, it was it was a collective good performance. That I think you have to be encouraged by. Yeah, yeah, fully, fully agree.
0: We're going to move on to listener questions. First one comes in from Rob Bradley. Did Daniel manage not to scream wildly and shout "I love you, Diego" during the afternoon?
2: I I did manage. I was just I was sat there. If you had a camera on me, I was just sat there with sort of this smile on my face, just very content, very happy. Um, you know, yeah. There was there was no sort of hysterical sort of reactions. I was just, you know, say maybe I don't want to keep you know. Throwing up the the Thanos comparisons because I, I don't think it's a good one. But imagine the scene of Thanos at the end of Infinity War when he's looking over his field and he's just very content. Uh, but I haven't wiped out half the universe. I've just I've just been I've just seen obviously Stamford Bridge applaud uh, my hero. So uh, yeah, that was my reaction during the game.
0: Lovely, lovely stuff. Um, this question comes in from Connor. When will people start recognizing the amount of talent Trevor Chalaba has? Because Daniel, this is one of those things. It's again, I'm gonna caveat this by saying it's only what I see online I don't hear it whenever I'm at the games mm. at all but Trevor Chalibur for whatever reason there's sort of this weird you know perception of him I guess but he's not good enough or he's not really I guess rated that highly I mean we've not we statistically have not lost a game in 90 or 120 minutes where he has started mm. I can't really remember him make putting it wrong he of course has made mistakes for Chelsea like all top center all center backs do make mistakes he was in his first season of Premier League football last season he's a player who essentially we lucked out on big time because we could easily have lost him as i said if he's sliding doors moments here and there and he's a player who i don't think really has ever let us down i just think ultimately you know mm. again he's probably needed without a or injury to to get you know like and maybe that will change his season but trevor Chabot is just one of those weird players considering he cost us nothing as well he's you know one of our own it's not like we spent money on him uh, yeah, I think he, he should be deserved praise. He should have been getting praise ages ago and getting recognized for a long time ago.
2: Yeah, I mean a lot of this does play into kind of the the culture war stuff that we see so often online, uh where people have kind of made it their identities to just um weirdly go after academy players. Um I, I wonder if some of it also is just the lack of trust at times or this perception that you know academy players uh can't be as good or you can't trust them as much, you know, as much as I was praising Aspilicueta earlier, I just, one of my biggest frustrations at the back end of last season was chalaba not playing and he'd come in for the odd game. We'd keep a clean sheet. We'd win. He'd look good. And then he'd be out the team and Aspilicueta would come back in and would make mistakes and Chelsea's defence would look really poor. And, um, I, I don't understand it. I think that, again, you know, it, it's the, the value of Cobham. It's the value of having someone who has is, is, is grown up in that environment and also has a lot of technical quality. Aesthetically, I think sometimes it does come down to that as well. I mean, I think he's quite a good passer for a defender. Um, but because maybe at times, I, I, you know, we go back to the Tammy thing, right? We, If sometimes you are doing something that doesn't look as aesthetically pleasing as some other players, people, not true i mean it always comes down to me what are you doing are you effective are you positively like in the sense of helping the team or is the team improving with your impact and i think that's the the stats just tell you that that's the case with trevor chalabar um he of course is still growing as a young center back last season was his first season in premier league football despite the loans he's had um he's such a justification again for giving young players um opportunities because we've probably saved about 60 million there on a centre-back. And I, I think him and some others have, you know, we still hear stuff about um, other centre-backs that we could be trying to sign next summer. I'm not saying they're they're not good enough, but I, I, I think that Chalaba absolutely deserves the opportunity. And I don't know, I, I, I don't really listen to that noise as much because I think it always just comes from similar voices and they always sort of have the same sort of views on all academy players, no matter who they are. Um so there's some of that, but listen, it's um, it's odd, Chalabar to keep on playing well, which he is. And as Mount and James and Abraham have done over the years, you know, the more those people talk, it just looks sillier and sillier. You know, it's just, it looks more deranged when you're watching the performances of a player look so good. And there's still people telling him that he's not good enough. I mean, listen, I think he is good enough. And I think Graham Potter is probably seeing that at the moment. And that's why he's starting to play.
0: Yeah, next question comes in from good friend of ours, Tom Curley. Considering how good people thought RLC would be when he was younger and the hits he's taken, realistically, how good slash what does he have to do to fulfil that early promise? Or has he already done that? Because Daniel said, we, you know, we talked about, you said you did a piece, I guess, in a week about Rhys James. And, you know, before Rhys James, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I guess, was mm-hmm. that one academy graduate. We thought, this is the one, this is the one but will, you know, actually break the mould. And reach our potential. We've been crying out for years before Josh McEachern was the one back in the day under Carlo, etc. We we were starving, and then obviously you know fate you know had had a cruel twist in life for Ruben. But what does Ruben have to do to, I guess, fulfil that early promise, or or has he already done that? I was be given just the setbacks and what he's done and the few and the career he's you know managed to forge himself at Chelsea.
2: I think the fact that he just has a Chelsea career is an achievement in itself, given the setbacks he he has had. Um, the potential in terms of what I thought he could be for Chelsea was kind of this marauding, kind of box-to-box number eight who would be scoring goals, a real big creative threat. At the moment, it looks like he, and we and we saw this mostly under Tuchel last season, he is mainly playing a deeper defensive midfield role at the moment. He is kind of shielding the defense. He is trying to intercept, be aggressive, uh, cover space, trying to advance the ball. It's not that he doesn't progress or, or try and get into the final third. He did uh, a, few, a few occasions against Wolves. Um, but for him, I think to to play at this level and to still prove himself and to come back from adversity and... To be up against a lot of competition and to still get consistent minutes, I, I think is a testament to the character of Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Because maybe other players would have thrown in the towel, would have said, I, I "I'll, you know, I'll get a move somewhere else. There's no point sticking around here." I think he's. Any time he's interviewed, he still says Chelsea is my club. I want to make it at Chelsea. Uh, whether he reaches the potential, the high high potential, I think a lot of us had is kind of hard to know. Um, I think in the current role, he he looks like he's going to play more functional is probably an in, insulting way of putting it. More of a, yeah, maybe more of a defensive or just a, sort of a, a calming presence in the center of the park rather than someone who really is going to define games of football. Like he's really going to take the game by the scruff of the neck, drive forward, link with others and, and stick it in the top corner like he was doing under Sarri. I, I don't think he's going to be that player that we saw, unfortunately. But just him getting minutes and currently playing really well. I, I think he's been one of Chelsea's better performers so far this season. Like I think other than the first half against Southampton, I think all around wherever he's played, I think he's had a good, a good showing. Um, and he's getting, I think he's getting the, the the minutes he deserves now. So hopefully he can stay in the team. Maybe his role evolves over time. Uh, but I just think him having a Chelsea career is something that we do need to pr- appreciate because it was so low after that Achilles injury and and particularly when he went online to Fulham, I think a lot of us were kind of just assuming that he'd be sold on the following summer, and that hasn't happened, and, and that's a refreshing thing.
0: Yeah. Next question comes in from Shyam. Does Broger deserve a start be Milan now? But he's shown on a short but consistent basis. But he's really I mean, Daniel, I guess this is this is the tough one when Chelsea, we've got Bamiang, we've got Havertz, we've got competition, we've got other players in form. It, I mean, it, to me, it kind of feels maybe I I still just see him having a sub-role, you know, mm. right now, especially in big games, but your thoughts?
2: I think it may come down to the style of game. Um, you know, he is someone that I think, like a lot of attacking players, always is more effective in transition, but particularly the run he made against uh, Wolves when it was late on and there was space to run into. Maybe Potter feels that Milan kind of, Knowing they probably have to get a positive result in midweek against Chelsea may come on to us a bit more than they did at Stanford Bridge, so then maybe you're looking at that speed in behind. Um, but with the five sub rule, I still think there is there's scope to bring on players in you know across the game and and give them significant minutes. I still think Aubameyang probably starts on Wednesday. Um, you know he's got two two into. Um, we know Potter's predictable and he's played four games and we've had four different lineups. We've arguably had four different formations in all of those games. So uh, you can keep trying to guess. And I think we're going to keep being wrong probably with Potter until we've got a sort of a longer and larger sort of sample size of what he's doing in selections. Um but I still think of Yang with the, with the experience, with the nows, with the with the anticipation of where he needs to be inside the box. I'm st- I'm still going to go with him because I think he probably deserves the minutes. Uh, but it, it's good for Breuer, right? He's he's putting himself in 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 the window. He's doing all he can. When he comes off the bench and scores that goal, I I don't think he can do much more. So it's not like you can look at the player and say, "What are you doing to gain more minutes?" And you just hope that Potter sees that. And and if he comes on again in midweek and has a positive impact. Yeah, If he keeps doing that, you think a start in the Premier League will be there eventually for him at Chelsea.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially with the amount of games we still have got to play before the World Cup. Next question comes in, who was our first goalie here on out? Because, I mean, Daniel, as I said, this Mendy's injury has kind of coincided with Keppi game-backed on team and actually, you know, showing he's not really put a foot wrong. We can't, I can't really mm-hmm. fault. The only thing I can maybe for Kepri in his appearances, is maybe that Salzburg goal, which again, to be fair, I think is more so, not just him, it's a collection of errors yeah. in that moment. But against Palace, I thought he didn't really put wrong on, obviously could do nothing about the goal, made some important saves. Against Milan, didn't have a huge amount to do, but made about one important save, you know, the first half. Kept a clean sheet again yesterday, didn't have a huge amount to do, but when required, made saves. I guess it's a nice problem to have, I guess, for Paul, you know, discussing it, but who for, who for you is the first goalie from here on out for Chelsea?
2: I think he's just going to stick with Kepper uh, because he's a player in confidence, right? He's a player that quite clearly looks like he he's looks like he's being trusted again, not only by the players around him. Obviously, that was at its uh, we spoke about loss of cheek and recovering from situations. I mean, I think Kepper also needs some respect for recovering from the situation he was in in 2020. Um, I still think there are flaws within his game that may never be rectified, particularly height at set pieces. We saw it. Again, that moment against Wolves where a ball got flung in, I think it was either a, a free kick or a, um, a corner where he came for it, didn't win the ball, and we got a little bit lucky that it, the, I think the header from the Wolves player went wide. Um, that's always going to be a concern, as is sort of the the, the shots from distance. That's always been a, a large criticism of him. But Mendy was obviously in shaky form before them. Um, I feel that there are attributes to Kepa that... You could argue make more sense with the way Graham Potter wants to play. Um, you want someone who's good with with his feet and distribute the ball well. That's kind of an essential thing, particularly of any team who wants a lot of the ball. You, you as Man United, I think, have found out at times you you can't have a keeper that can't do that. You know, just, it just the whole system breaks down. And I felt against Wolves um, and at times against AC Milan, he was doing that quite positively. I think he was stepping out at times. He was almost Noya esque rushing out. Uh, to to get first to a to a sort of an overtop ball from walls to keep Chelsea on the front foot and win back possession, so I, I think he'll stick with him. I still think Mendy is maybe underrated actually for his his distribution. Um, he's had some shocking individual moments, but and Ozil obviously have cost Chelsea dearly and and look you know the most horrific. But at the same time, I generally still do think that Mendy is the better keeper. I do. Um, I, I don't think I, I'm just, just because Kepa's had a decent couple of weeks. I don't think my mind changes on that, uh, but it's a fight on, right? It's, it's a fight on now. And the cup, you know, you always sort of look at cup games. Don't you as the time when a, a second choice keeper will come back in. We don't have that till the 7th, I believe of November against Man City. So if you're looking at it, it's all kind of like first choice games and Kepa keeps playing and we keep playing well, then Mendy probably is going to have to wait for that Man City game to to get any minutes unless, of course, Kepa gets suspended or injured. So uh, I think he'll stick with him at the moment.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Next question yeah, comes in from RJ's got three for us. First one, what has been the most noticeable changes you've seen since Graham Potter started waving his wand?
2: Uh, I think in the attack, just um, our variation in the way we attack. Uh, we are not afraid to be more direct not afraid to take less touches to get the ball forward and also not afraid to commit more bodies into the box when a ball is out wide. That, was, that has been a consistent frustration, right? That a ball goes in a box in a zone and it's usually people having to go, why isn't there someone on the end of it? But it's usually because our players are being outnumbered. You have like one or two attackers against five defenders or three defenders inside the box. You're not helping yourself in that case. Um, I like that we are giving ourselves a wider margin for error um, that's what I'm seeing so far, and, and to be honest, the XG at the moment is, is showing that. Um, you know, I've actually sort of written a piece about about this for Football London that's coming out uh, today uh, about sort of the the averages in XG that we've had so far, and and they have there, there is an uptick. There's there's quite clearly an uptick since Graham Potter's come in. I think um, this is via Y Scout that the last five games under Tuchel, Chelsea averaged about 1.14 XG in the opening. Uh, in the opening games under Potter, four games, isn't it now? Um, our average has jumped up to 2.1. So, you know, we are creating better quality opportunities. I think we are giving ourselves more room to miss chances. And and that's really encouraging.
0: Yeah. Next question. Based on the two 3-0 back-to-back wins, what's your starting 11 for the Milan game? So we'll just get, break it down here. I'm presuming we're sticking with Keper and Gold, seeing as he's not really put a foot wrong. Yeah. I'd imagine we go back to Silver sort of back three, but we kind of saw, you know, we'll play three better. Like we saw against Milan. So I'm imagining Trev, Silver, presuming he's back. Obviously he did play through that Milan game, the cold, but he rest, didn't play a weekend. So you think back and Koulibaly back three, Trev, Silva, Koulibaly back three.
2: Yeah. yeah that'd be my back three as well.
0: Reese and Chile on as the wing backs for that game.
2: Yeah. I, I, I Cook Herrera, I think, had some nice moments, but I also think he struggled against Adama Traore. Right? Um I, I think there were defensively some moments that concerned me. I think Chelsea got away with it, uh, and I, and I think that Chilwell, I, he was he's another player that seems to always get harshly criticised. Um, I think was again was showing some good things that you see in the final third with him that make him such a dangerous player. Um, so yeah, I'd like to, I think Potter said that the reason they sort of switched around was because of. Um, Cheer well his ACL, playing three games of the week is quite demanding, given that recovery time and given, you know, you want to be careful with that. So, um, but there is a fight on there, right? I, I like the fact that with Kukurea, you saw this again yesterday, it gives quite clearly Potter the freedom to be a lot more fluid, I think, with the way Chelsea play and build up. Like you see that Kukurea, for most of the time, was actually playing as a left centre-back yesterday. But quite clearly, he can also... Move into a wing back role, move into a more conventional left back role. And I think that probably helps Graham Potter. He likes probably having that versatility. That Obviously, Chilwell doesn't quite give you that. You know, Chilwell is either playing as a conventional left back or most of the time for Chelsea where he's best as a wing back.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um, the midfield, again, there's options here. Jorginho started against Wolves. Uh, we did kind of see, you know, what well, I thought he was pretty solid. We did also see what can happen when, when we go forward in and Cat. And there's a moment, Matthias Nunez I mean, dribble around just a few of us. Gone on to that um, Kovacic and Ruben were, you know, selected against that. Are we kind of, would you go with them two again?
2: Yeah, I would. I think it's going to be another high pressing game, and I think you need more mobility in the centre of the park. And I think both of those players just offer that more physicality. I think we really bossed Milan's midfield last week, so I, I think those two are the ones that I'd stick with.
0: Fair enough. Uh, that then, I guess, seems what do we do up front or stay away from that? Nascent mount. I feel like it's it's obvious that he will start. I think, especially given that his performance, I feel he's kind of nailed on to start, which then leaves us, I guess, two more positions. Daniel, is it, is it a simple case of Sterling and Aubameyang? Here you go.
2: Yeah, I've, I've, I still lean towards them. Um, they are very experienced players. They're productive players as well. Um, you feel like if Chelsea, for some reason, aren't creating a lot of opportunities in the game, you know, who do you want taking less of, or who do you want in the position to 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 try and score those those fewer opportunities, Sterling and Abameyang or Pulisic and Havertz? That's the question I'd ask, right? And I know that's kind of a simple thing to say. But as we were saying in this in this show already, that um those are experienced players, productive players. I mean Sterling sure hasn't hasn't scored in a few weeks, but he did set up Reece James for the third goal. I, I think generally he makes good decisions in the final third. So does Abamiang um, and I feel like you you go you gave those players full rest, and it quite clearly they don't have any injury problems. At least it seems like it was just a rest. I'd bring them back in for the for the game, and and hopefully they'll be they'll be productive again.
0: Yeah. His final question: Which player have impressed you? Which players or players have impressed you the most, least under Graham Potter so far? My, I, I think least is quite hard to say because I can't really say there's anyone that's not really me. I can't think of anyone who's really been mm. you know really poor. But I guess which players have impressed you the most?
2: The most so far interesting is I think Ruben is the one that obviously comes into mind just, you know, really stepping up and really sort of very quickly in the space of a couple games has asserted himself as a first choice central midfielder. Um I guess we say Trevor Challa, but I think I think there are players that are doing things that we know they can do as well. You know, it's not I know that Reese James is a wonderful wing back. I know that Mason Mount can be a very essential and creative player for Chelsea. We know that Kai Havertz can score goals on his best day. Um, I wouldn't say anyone's like shocked me. I, I you know, I, I think that there is quality. I've always felt there's quality of in this squad. Um, I think what Potter's doing with say a player like, for instance, Conor Gallagher, is he's putting him in positions that are going to make him more effective. You know, he, there was no point putting Conor Gallagher as a six where he's receiving the ball from centre-backs and Edward Mendy. Like he's never going to impact the game that way if you play him either as an eight or you play him as kind of as he was yesterday on the right side of attack, closer to the box, he's going to cause more problems for the, for the opposition. Um, so I guess more of my, more of what surprised me, I guess is that we're now starting to see players maybe in their better positions or just better areas of the pitch and that those players are starting to take opportunities. Um, I, I if you if you're gonna pin me down for an answer, I'd say Ruben. Um, but there's no one I sort of look at and go, wow, like I, I never saw that coming. Like I think a lot of the players are showing things and attributes that we know they have within them. It's just about whether they can do it consistently. Like with Pulisic, for instance, we always we we have known throughout his Chelsea career he has these moments where he can be really clinical in front of goal. He can arguably be one of be one of our better finishers, but it's whether he can start doing that over a, a large course of games. Um yeah, so I'd I'd say Ruben or even Aubameyang, just for sort of like the Chelsea sort of curse of a number nine putting the ball in the back of the net quite efficiently.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. I'd agree there. Final question, what's Chelsea's best 11 currently? Back three, back four, false nine, number nine? I mean, Daniel, I guess this is the beauty of it. We don't know because so far, mm. the changes, they're kind of working. As I said yesterday, I was I was a bit tentative when I saw that loan for. thought, oh, OK, you know, it. it did feel bold. It did feel you know, quite quite a brave thing to do. But again, it just works. So ultimately, and we've got players, albeit a very small sample size, but in relatively decent form under Potter so far. So it's it's quite hard to really pin down, you know, say what well, is our best 11, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think that's some of the things that, you know, Potter said in his post-match interview, he said, you know, you, you can't succeed with only 11 players. And that's kind of the modern way of thinking, isn't it? You know, that um, I think if we expect that Potter's really going to nail you know, down and 11 that he is going to stick with week in and week out. I think we're going to be disappointed because he is quite clearly a coach throughout all of his career, particularly at, with, with Brighton, who is going to be flexible. That is one of the things, that's one of the words that has been most used when describing Graham Potter is he likes to change things. He likes to very, not just, you know, for the sake of it, but based on the opposition, based on what's required, based on the players available to him. Um, and I, And I think that, we have to get used to that. And it makes sense when you have so many games, you know, if you, if we had one game a week, like we did say under Antonio Conte, and that team was performing to its max in sixteen seventeen, it made a lot of sense to play the same 11 every single week because, you know, we were only playing one game a week for most of that season uh, with the number, sheer number of games away from home in Europe. I mean, you, you have to rotate, you have to be flexible and that's how you succeed. And um, hopefully it continues because, lineups like yesterday and then he gets the performance and the result he does gets buy-in not only from his players but particularly from supporters, right? Because I think a lot of us naturally look at that team and go, that almost looks like a League Cup team, you know, <laughs> that looks like a team that isn't really the first choice, or at least what our perception of the first choice would be. And um so yeah, it all, all round positive. I can't there's no point in me sitting here and just giving you some sort of like Eleven, because we haven't had enough Graham Potter to to make that judgment. Unfortunately,
0: yeah, I think it's obvious there will be you know certain individuals who are a part of that you know that eleven. But that's obvious because we've been watching perform at a mm. high level for for not just this season for a number of years. So there will obviously be a few you know pretty much near on nailed on guarantees. I'd say most weeks, but yeah, to pin down eleven at this point is not really possible. And I say it's just nice you know we don't really know what line-up to expect. But so far, what, whatever lineup we've been given, the players out there have, have delivered and that's nice. And hopefully. That continues next week with another another big week instal for Chelsea. That is all the listener questions we had. Uh, I want to thank Daniel for coming on. So, Daniel, before you go, give yourself one last plug where people can find you and all your work.
2: Yeah, many thanks for having me on again. Uh, hopefully next time it's as positive again because I... Maybe not for another Diego uh, return. That That is a once-in-a-lifetime occasion. But uh, at Son of Chelsea, as I said at the start of the podcast, is the best place on Twitter. Kind of the hub of all my work, my videos, my articles, tweets and stuff. Uh, but if you want to watch my YouTube channel, uh, Son of Chelsea on YouTube, regular videos about Chelsea.
0: Yep, Daniel's links will be in the description below. Just a quick reminder, again, that you can get 20% off for free shipping with code ChelseaPod at Manscaped.com. The code and the link will be in the description below should you choose to use it uh, as for us we're on twitter about chelsea pod on instagram about chelsea pod one all your usual podcast platform providers apple spotify such so if you're not subscribed already then what the hell are you doing but just search us about chelsea pod and we should come up if you like what you've heard today leave a rating and review it goes a long way play it to anyone whenever i tweet it out likes retweets goes a long way. puts it on top of people's timelines just basically play it to anyone with a functioning pair of ears please but until the next episode keep the blue flag flying high
1: sports social podcast network